Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 470 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction right now. I think this is going to be an episode that not a lot of people listen to because, frankly, I think you all don't enjoy it when we talk about Duke losses, right? <laughs> I feel like they, I feel like they, they enjoy our perspective, but they don't like reliving, you know, re- reliving those losses. And honestly, yeah. I mean, we don't either. It's hard to kind of do these. Right. Exactly. Uh, let, let's get the introductions out of the way first. I am Jason Evans. I'll be your host on this edition. Donald Wine, as you just heard a moment ago, is with me. Donald, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm at my dad and brother's house uh, celebrating the holiday. We'll be down here uh, for a few days, but looking forward to getting back to D.C. in time for the Military Bowl next week. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and just so, uh, by the way, Sam Klein couldn't make it tonight. Very busy at work. I know that most people are, uh, you know, here we are. It's It's the evening of the 21st. The day after Duke lost, it's Wednesday evening. Most people are sort of winding down as we approach the Christmas holiday weekend. Sam is not winding down. Sam is very, very busy. Maybe he is. It's. I mean, I get it. I, I was at. I was doing work all day today. I'll be doing work all day tomorrow just to make it get it done before the holiday. Also, we're in the middle of Hanukkah, so like, yeah. there's that going on too. So yeah, it's been. A, it's a lot going on this week. Uh, always. It's, it's a lot. I also think that Sam was sort of like, it's a terrible, a terrible game. I don't want to talk about this game. <laughs> hey, what do you say? Let's let's call it. That's 470, folks, in the books. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, but tell them real quick, tell them about what we're what we got coming up like later sure. on this week that we're working on, for, especially on the football end. Yeah, I was I was gonna mention this. Uh we're gonna be talking to, at least the plan is we're gonna be talking to some folks who follow uh Central Florida football, UCF, who will tell us a little bit about that team as we prepare for Duke's bowl game next week. So we'll have a preview of that. We'll also be previewing Duke's game coming up against Florida State, which is a big deal, an even bigger deal in the wake of uh, the loss to Wake just just yesterday. Uh, so that's what we're going to have, you know, sort of over the weekend for folks, um, you know, as you plan around your Christmas, also plan around when you're going to be listening to the DBR podcast. But Donald, let's get to this Wake game, because as much as we joke, as much as we don't want to talk about it, it's important to dissect and figure out what's going on with uh, with what I think is far and away the the most disappointing game of um uh, of John Shire's career as Duke's head coach and of this season uh even though you know we arguably got beat down even worse by Purdue that was more understandable uh more forgivable in many ways than than this Wake Forest loss was uh, let, let's start with the headlines go ahead and give me yours I'll give you mine and then I have a bunch from the from the listeners that folks who sent us headlines that I really like them and read, but go ahead with yours first. Yeah. And, and uh, foreshadowing, I think mine kind of ties into a lot of what we saw from the emails uh, that we received, but mine is Duke's energy fails to wake up and brutal road loss. Uh, yes. That, that wake up theme comes through uh, again and again in the headlines we got sent by, by listeners. My headline is Duke's defense is offensive in road loss to wake. Um, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna do the good and then we'll do the bad. We're gonna spend a lot more time on the bad. And when we get to the bad, Donald, I'm gonna talk about the defense extensively. <laughs> but let's get to those uh, headlines that you all sent to us. Jim Baumgardner, uh, I love this one. Save for Blake's Duke fails to wake, as in awake. Uh, I, I thought that was a really clever one. Save for Blake's Duke fails to wake. Jared Strauss said, "Wake up, Duke sleepwalks, slips, and bricks its way through the forest." Nice job, Jared. Lee Maxson. Now, here's what Lee did. Lee sent us like seven headlines. <laughs> and I liked a bunch of them. He numbered them. Number one was, wherefore art thou basket? Because Duke 
couldn't shoot at all. Number two was the gang who can't shoot straight. <laughs> I love number three. The whole reason I'm doing these is because I love number three. Lee said, if a blue devil made a shot in the wake forest, would it make a sound? And then Lee Maxson's headline number four was, we suck. I don't know if I would go that far. <laughs> that was a little brutal. Uh, but, That's a yeah. little brutal there, yeah, Lee. Uh, we suck. And then uh, someone who they think was their full name, just re-George is the name, says, Duke displays energy expected at awake, as in a uh, a mourning situation, like awake for someone who has recently passed. Uh, so I thought that was a clever one as well. Wow, we just had a, a bunch of really good headlines. Donald, we have to now get to the good. There has to be some good. There has to be some positive. And I'm betting you're going to talk about a certain gentleman named Jalen Blakes. Am I right? Jalen Blakes was the star for Duke last night. And you're probably thinking, I know we'll talk kind of about that later, but at least on the, on the bad side. But Jalen Blake scoring 17 points and leading the team in scoring. Again, I believe that is the sixth Duke player to lead a team in scoring so far this year. And I know we talked about this at the beginning of the season during the stats game. We were like, yo, Jalen Blakes is probably not going to be one of these people, but Jalen Blakes is one of these six people. Uh, so, I mean, the, the fact that he was able to, uh, you know, be the, be the, I guess, you know, a spark on offense in his time on the floor off the bench was great. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned six time, a different Duke player has led the team in scoring. The only three regulars, I'm not counting Jaden shoot. He has not made his way into being a regular yet. The only three regulars who have not led us in scoring so far are Derek Lively, Jacob Grandison, and Ryan Young. Um, so I believe I predicted. And Ryan seven. Young has been close. He's been, I think he's he been has close been, a couple of times. Well, he's gotten to like 10, 11. He hasn't really exploded for like one to get to the teens yet. And I think mm -hmm. that's what it's going to take for him to, to lead this team in scoring um, at some point. But, but continue with what you were saying about Jalen Blakes. I don't want to steal any thunder away from this man. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, there was times where when we made some many runs and we had a couple of times where we, you know, got it together. We got some turnovers. He led the break. He was passing the ball very well. I thought he, uh, was hitting some threes. He also drove the lane, went to the line. He did a lot of things on both ends of the floor. And again, when we needed that spark, because, you know, we'll talk about our starting five. It wasn't what stuff just felt like it wasn't clicking as a team. He was coming in and he was providing at least a spark. When you look at his stat line again, 17 points, uh, you, you know, he, he fouled out, uh, but I thought that was kind of harsh given what he was doing uh, on the floor, three assists, Three steals, one block, two rebounds, all over the place. Three for four from three. Again, he knocked down a couple free throws. He was six for seven from the floor as a whole. Anytime he got the ball, it felt like something good was happening. And we talked about his progression from last year, this year, and even through this year, how he's become kind of that backup point guard for the second unit. Well, at times he was running with the first unit because that's how good he was playing. Yeah, I thought, by the way, I loved the moment in the second half. There was about eight minutes left. And, and I don't know if you noticed this. You could hear him through the TV calling for the ball. Tyrese Proctor had the ball, and you heard and Blakes was standing on the wing at, outside the three-point line with his hands out, ready to get it. He was right in front of the Duke bench, and he was saying, hey, 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 I'm here. Like, he wanted the ball. Proctor finally found him, and he immediately knocked down a three-pointer. It was the moment we cut it to seven on that play. And again, there was about eight minutes left. At that moment, I really thought as bad as Duke had played that we were about to come back and find a way to win the game. Of course, we went cold again at that moment. We only scored two points in the next four minutes. 
Um, and and essentially at that point, I think the the game was pretty darn close to out of reach. But I just thought Jalen Blake, yeah, that that was his biggest moment in the game. And I love the fact that he was calling for that ball and wanted to take that shot, was absolutely confident. I saw more confidence from him than I have at any point in his career in this game last night. I thought, you know, at some point this season, I thought that maybe Jalen Blakes would develop into a Jordan Goldwire type of player. Uh You know, a guy who was, uh, who is a defensive specialist for the most part, um, but you don't really expect them to do a lot on offense. And, And I'm now here to say, I may have undervalued this guy. I'm not saying he's there yet, but I've I've seen enough progression from Jalen Blakes to think that it is very possible this guy is going to turn into more than just a deep rotation piece for Duke. Uh, his three point stroke maybe may a little he's a little slow to get that shot off. It may not look as smooth as some of the other shots you see, but it's been really effective this year. He's hitting 37 percent of his threes on a team that doesn't shoot threes very well. I, I just think you know he, he may. He may be reaching the point where he's more than a defensive specialist, and that's a big lift for Duke if that's the case. I'll go one further. I, I think when you're talking about Jordan Goldwire, and I think that's a really good comparison, again, about the trajectory, right? Like Jordan Goldwire, when he was a freshman, didn't really contribute that much. And as he got older and, and more experienced, he became more of a important integral piece of the team. I he, think he, that's what we're seeing from he figured out He figured out what he needed. Goldwire figured out what he needed to do to help Duke to win basketball games. Mm-hmm. And, and and by the way, this is something that we don't get a lot of at Duke because so many of our guys are focused on getting to the pros, whether it be in their first year or their second year. And it, it just takes a little more time sometimes to assess the college game, assess what you need to work on. Look, it's really hard to work on stuff during the season. So, okay, in the offseason, this is what I need to work on to get better and impact the game more. It's so clear that Jalen Blakes has done that. And, and, you know, to some extent, the Jordan Goldwire comparisons, I'm admittedly the guy who made him, they're not really fair because Jordan Goldwire was like top 300 recruit. Jalen Blakes, let's not forget, was a top 100 recruit. There are plenty of big-time programs that would have loved to have gotten Jalen Blakes, not seen him as a luxury recruit the way Duke did. And and he's he's proving that he is as valuable as, you know, as anybody would have thought he could be. I think that's where that that's where I think the comparisons are there is that his his contribution to the team on offense and on defense has gotten better every single game. And even again, as we've re- we started to rely more upon him, even last night, there was times where, like you said, you know, earlier in the season, if he called for the ball in the corner probably wouldn't have got it. Like he probably would have been sent around to the other side, but when he commanded the ball, he got the ball and he made something happen on defense. He was locking down guys. I know we didn't do that much last night, but he was locking down guys. He got some steals. Again, he got a block. You're not asking Jalen Blakes to get blocks, but he was doing that because he knew that was going to hopefully provide a spark for the team. I think that is the the role that I see him continuing to evolve into is that guy who like Jordan Goldwire will give the team whatever it needs to to win the game or at least put themselves in a position to win the game. That's what he did last night. And that's what I loved from what I saw last night from him. Okay. I don't know how much other good you have from this game. The only other thing on my tablet in the good column is Ryan young. And now his D wasn't great, but he battled. I, I like the way he battled on the boards. And when we get to the bad, I'm going to talk about the rebounding. Oh boy. Am I going to talk about the rebounding? I thought Ryan Young was one of the few guys in this Duke team who really fought hard on the boards. 
Um, and you know, his, his touch around the hoop is absurdly good. The, the, it's not just that he's hitting layups. He he's taking those shots at awkward angles. He really uses the backboard, you know, like you would expect a fifth or sixth year senior to do. Um, in this game last night, Ryan Young had 31% of Duke's total rebounds. That's a crazy number. He almost had a double double. He had nine rebounds. And and he had three assists. And I felt like he was very um he he felt it looked like there was a, a calming presence about him around the basket on the offensive end, something that we didn't have last night. Anytime he got the ball, it felt like, hey, he's gonna make a move and he's gonna try and make something happen. And he was able to get that off, you know, quite well, especially inside the post. Yeah. And and by the way, he's gonna figure in my play of the game a little bit later on. But the the uh, the other thing I wanted to mention about him is he is currently the 17th best offensive rebounder in the country, according to Ken Pomeroy. Uh, you know, didn't have a ton of them last night. Frankly, Duke did not have enough offensive rebounds last night to to win the, a game where we're going to shoot as poorly as we shot. But but Ryan Young is a guy who is always fighting and battling on the inside for you. And in a game where there, frankly, were not very many Duke players who played well, Ryan Young was one of the few guys who I thought had a plus game for himself. You got any other good, Donald? Yeah, I think real quickly for for Mark Mitchell, um, it's funny because uh, when you look at his stat line, he he had 14 points. He was two for three from three, so he did very well from three. And if you looked at his shot last night, they were actually like comically like making fun of him at some points on the broadcast because of how his shot looked. But it was going in. And that's something that we haven't seen a lot from Mark Mitchell this year is the three-point shot going down because of how it looks. It's a very flat shot. It's obviously something that feels like it's a work in progress that they're trying to evolve his game and also evolve his shot into something that will have more of a traditional arc. But for two of three to go down, again, on a team that doesn't shoot threes very well, I like uh, hopefully that helps breed confidence that he can take those shots from time to time. Not telling him to go take 10 three-pointers a game, but if he can hit a couple a game, that's going to help stretch out the defense because, again, that helps him. There's a lot of times where guys had to key on him on the on the three-point line, and he was able to drive to the basket and get an easy easy basket, up, you know, a layup or a dunk. All right, is that it for the good? All right, we are ready to move on to the bulk of this podcast, which will be us talking about the things that went bad, the things did not go well (laughs) for the Blue Devils in this loss to Wake Forest. I'm not sure, you know, which one you want to start with, Donald, but I'm going to begin with this. The worst thing about this game was Duke's effort. In the post-game press conference, Ryan Young came out. He was the player that Duke put out there to, to talk to the media, and he said that Duke was lethargic. At the start, they were frankly lethargic throughout the whole game. He said our rebounding effort was inexcusable. I completely agree with him. He said that Wake was tougher than we were, and they wanted it more than we did. Now, let's not forget, as we told you in the preview, this is a Wake Forest team that was struggling late. They had lost three of four. Uh, They are likely not going anywhere this season unless they suddenly, maybe this game will turn it around for them completely. But based on where they are at the moment, even, even having gotten a, a a nice win over Duke at home. Uh, this Wake Forest team does not look like a team that is going to be doing very much this season other than languish around the the middle of the ACC pack and not make, you know, a meaningful postseason tournament. But they outplayed, they out-toughed, they out-hustled this Duke team. I know we had guys who were sick. I, I know that it's possible there are other players in the team who weren't feeling great and who played anyway. They're 
I've heard some rumors about that, that, you know, the sickness that took Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead out of play in this game may have extended to other players on the team who were able to play, even though those two guys were not, you know, I, their excuses. I know we were coming off an exam break. I know we had several days off from practice and playing basketball, but still the effort, the lethargy, uh, it was the, the toughness was, was just disheartening from this team. Energy was what I had in my headline and energy was the number one thing that was missing last night. Um, the intensity, because again, as we talked about this in the preview, like of of the Wake Forest game, that it's a road game. We didn't, we don't have another game for eleven days, and we we said, hey, we just need to take whatever energy we have and put it all into this game. Leave nothing uh, off the court, like leave it all on the court, because we have eleven days to regroup and get ready for Florida State, you know, at, on New Year's Eve. And I think that was missing. And yes, you mentioned, you know, we, we were missing Derek Lively. We were missing Derek Whitehead because they were too sick to even make the trip. There have been rumors about guys who were, who were not a hundred percent, but, uh, and I think Kara Lawson even said it when you interviewed her a few weeks ago, that effort is always something that can be there. You can, you can have a bad day shooting. You can have a bad day defensively, but the effort can always be there. And the effort just wasn't there last night. I think John Shower even alluded to in his, in his, uh, post-game press conference yeah you mentioned ryan young mentioned you know how lethargic they were playing and it's and it's also it's also forgivable for a young team in a way because we we all know how that happens right we know there's days where we just don't give 100 percent, and no matter what you do you just fully can't like give that extra you know bit it just doesn't feel like it's there it just it doesn't feel like it's shown up for whatever reason the problem is you do it against the Wake Forest team that had no confidence entering this game. And now they have all the confidence in the world. It's the first game of this year where we can call that on our end, a bad loss, because that's, you know, that's a Wake Forest team that again, I feel, you know, nine times out of 10, we should be beating. If the energy is there, if the effort is there, if the intensity is there, those are the things that was missing. And I know we're going to talk about some of the other elements of the game that we're missing, but I feel like the energy that was lacking played into all of that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. All right, so let's get to some of the other things that I that are worth talking about. And I think, as I mentioned, the defense was especially atrocious. Wake Forest scored a um, 1.12 points per possession in this game. To put that in perspective, there have been only three teams all year who scored more than one point per possession against Duke. Ohio State had 1.04. Purdue had 1.15. Purdue was the best team that Duke has played this year in terms of scoring points per possession. Wake scored 1.12 points per possession, second only to Purdue. Um, we allowed 81 points to this Wake team. Duke has been giving up an average of only 58 points per game up until now. So Wake scored 23 more points than the average opponent does for Duke. That's I know Wake played a little bit faster. You know, the I, I mentioned in the preview that Wake, you know, this will be a higher possession game. It was it was up there. It was one of the, I think it tied for the most possessions Duke has had in the game this this season, but that still doesn't account for Wake Forest scoring that many points against Duke. They repeatedly, the Demon Deacons repeatedly got into the lane, pivoted around a bit, and either found a shot, or they found a lob, or they passed the ball out to the perimeter for an open shot, or they got fouled. We were terrible, terrible at blocking their path into the lane and at, and at keeping them from getting to dangerous places. Cameron Hildreth lived in the lane in this game. It is crazy how often he got in there 
How does a guy like that repeatedly make Mark Mitchell and our other wings look so bad on defense? I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I, look, the other thing was, it wasn't like Wake shot lights out. They scored 80 plus points on us, not by bombing away and hitting a ton of three-pointers. They did it because they they got a they got the free throw line again and again and again. They shot 26 free throws against Duke. Ohio State is the only other team this season to shoot more than 20 free throws against. Ohio State shot 22 against us. So, you know, Wake exceeded that. Tyree Appleby had 14 free throws. That's as many as Duke took as a team. One guy on their team took as many free throws as our entire team did. Like I said, they just repeatedly got into the lane and got fouled or made the bucket or got a good look out of it. And you cannot, you just cannot allow pen. I don't know why John Shire didn't try zone or try to, you know, shake something up on defense, do something different on defense. I really, you know, I don't, I don't want to blame Shire for the loss, but I feel like we needed to really try something different at times in this game. And I don't feel like we ever really, you know, made wake figure things out anew. They had it figured out at the start and they just continued to do it to us throughout the entire contest. I think the most frustrating thing about our defense is we've talked about all year that it has been generating our offense that we've been, you know, basically as a team, our defense has been relying, like basically fueling the rest of what we do. And on this game, anytime we hit a three or anytime we hit a big bucket that would bring us within 10, within eight, you mentioned we got as low as seven at one point, every single time, every single time we would hit a big shot our defense would let down on the next possession and they would go down and get a basket or they'd go down and hit two free throws. And all of a sudden that seven point you know deficit is now 10. And then we would turn the ball over and then all of a sudden it's 13. And it's just, it was just errors on top of errors. And I think the one thing that was wholly frustrating was uh, the fact that, you know, Matthew Marsh, I think he was five for five on the game and four of them were alley-oops the same play every single time. And again, that was an adjustment that we just didn't make. Appleby getting into lane. He had eight turnovers, by the way. Very rarely do you see one player have eight turnovers. He had eight turnovers, but he also had eight assists. He also, get, like you said, he went to the line 14 times. Like he was able to, we said that he was going to be the key to their entire offense. And everything that they did ran through him for good or for, or for, or for worse. I think the killer though, is that the one thing that we have been super good at, and again, this is where the energy lacking failed us in these other categories, rebounding. We were out-rebounded on the night. Our offensive rebounding was down, and every single time it felt like when we needed to get a key defensive rebound, we'd we get one or two offensive rebounds, and they would get a put-back uh, basket that, again, extended their lead. So, again, the parts where the energy was deficient – is where we started lacking in areas that we have been very good at all year. And I think that was the most frustrating thing about our defense is that it has been fueling the rest of what we do. And last night, because of the energy wasn't there and because the intensity wasn't there on the road. And mind you, this is a Wake Forest team that was playing without its students because they're at winter break. We just didn't, we just didn't have it. And I think after that long layoff, we thought rust would be the, be the killer. And instead it was the energy not showing up. I'm glad you mentioned the rebounding because that was sort of the next thing I had in my bad column. Um, 
Duke only uh, both the both the rebounding and everything related to our big men. Um, Duke only had two block shots in this game. We got hammered on the boards, the and one was Jalen Blake's. Yeah, we got hammered on the boards to the tune of thirty-seven to twenty-nine. I mean, that's bad. We only had seven offensive rebounds. We're we lead the nation. Even after that game, we lead the nation in offensive rebounding. We only had seven offensive rebounds in this game. Duke usually grabs forty percent of their missed shots. We only grabbed 20% of our missed shots in this game. Essentially, we had half as many offensive rebounds as we usually get. You think that impacted the game a little bit? Uh-huh. Kyle Filipowski, nine points, but it took him 14 shots to get there. Only grabbed six rebounds. He had five turnovers. This is the first game all year where Kyle doesn't score in double figures. It was the worst game for him by a lot. And it feels like as great as he was playing earlier in the year, He's regressing to the mean a little bit. Um, he, you know, he needs to maybe fight through it and figure things out. And then the other thing I wanted to mention about the bigs and the rebounding was, I know there are a lot of people out there who've been dogging on Derek Lively. Derek Lively makes a big difference on defense. He makes a big difference for this team in terms of just his presence on the floor. Not having him mattered in this game. I love Ryan Young. I mentioned Ryan Young played, uh, you know, played one of the better games in the team. But not having Derek Lively, you know, that that really means something for this for this game. What yeah, else you got with, in the bad? With with Derek Lively, you know, a lot of those alley oops that I mentioned that Marsh was throwing down, those don't even get attempted because they know Derek Lively is there to break that up. Jason, there's one category that I think is very interesting here um, that last year we talked about a lot, um, and that's field goal, not field goal attempts, but field goal makes. Did you know that they were even last night? Both teams made 26 field goals. Yeah. We made one more three-pointer, despite how bad it felt like we were shooting from three. We made one more three-pointer than Wake did. Where we got killed is that free every single line. time we fouled them and sent them to the line, and they made you know more field goal, they made more free throws than we attempted. Like That's the game, ball game. In a game that we lose by 11, they beat us by 12 at the free throw line. Hey, that's that's easy math, my friend. It's yeah. really easy to tell who you know what one stat led to to winning or losing that game. I, I do want to talk about the offense really quickly. Um, Jeremy Roach, Kyle Filipowski, Tyrese Proctor, and Jacob Grandison, who are the guys we expect to take most of our three-pointers, they combined to shoot three of 20 from long range. Three of 20, and by the way, one of those three was Jeremy Roach hitting that three with like 20 seconds left. That was meaning The game was over, no pressure, no nothing. And he, he finally, at that point, hit a three-pointer. But, I mean, essentially, when the game mattered, those guys are two of 19 on three-pointers. I mean, thank goodness Mark Mitchell and Jalen Blakes shot well from the perimeter because the rest of the team was woefully bad. I I have to wonder, was there was there no room, was there no ability by John Shire to give – Jacob Shute got like two minutes in the middle of the second half, didn't really get a chance to do anything. Was there really no chance to to let Shute play a little bit more? I feel like, I feel like maybe he could have helped out. And speaking of the three-pointers, it felt to me throughout this game like Duke was settling for threes instead of looking for a better two. In a game with with 72 possessions, you know, I mentioned, we took 27 three-pointers and only 32 two-pointers. Almost 50% of our shots came from three-point range. And we are, at this point, simply not a good enough three-point shooting team to have half our shots coming from three. It doesn't, we saw expressly in this game that that will not work. 
and this is a metric that I've seen this year that's a little off from previous years. Usually, I mean, we're not a great three three point shooting team. We've been very very poor on the season so far, and you know, probably below expectations in that regard. Where we're also lower than expectations in my mind is our two point field goal percentage. It's below fifty percent. When you have a team that's shooting thirty thirty two percent from three, that's fine as long as your two pointers are, if you're making at least half of those. And, and in previous years, we had a Zion Williamson who's going to make 70% of his two point baskets. Mark like Williams. those sort of thing. Mark yeah. Williams is going to hit 70%, right? We Paulo Bancaro was hitting 60% or something like that of his two point baskets. And I, I think that's what needs to go up is the problem is, is that guys are letting us shoot threes because they know we're not going to even hit the twos. Like they're like, might as well go for the three, which we know they're bad at. If they go into the lane, it's a little bit better. But we need to get that above fifty percent because at that rate, then people are are packing the defense on us. We'll have more open shots on the outside if we want to take them. But I think the problem is is that our two point baskets aren't going in either, and that's what's contributing to the fact that we have to have a high volume of shots to get the points that we need. All right, Donald, are we done with the bad? Yes. All right, let's move on to our favorite play as we wrap up our coverage of this Wake Forest game. Tell me what your favorite play was. I honestly think it was Jalen Blake's hitting that three. Uh, they went, it went, basically went to a timeout and it was like a series of play where he deed up on defense and then he went back down and they worked the ball around. They found him kind of in the corner and he kind of like took the ball and he was like, Hmm, I guess I'll shoot it. And he just hit it. And I think, I think it was my favorite play just because it symbolized like, again, Hey, there's one guy who at least was going for it. There's one guy who was, who was in the zone and, and, and some sorts on offense and was playing very well. And he, in that moment tried to take control of the game. I, I think it's separate it, from the play where you were talking about where he kind of called the uh, call for the ball from the bench and hit the three. Right. I thought that was also good. Yeah. So I wanted to shout out, um, there was a, a play that Jalen Blake's had, uh, with a, about 11 minutes left in the first half where he made an absurd cross the body like around his man pass out to Mark Mitchell for a three-pointer with about 11 minutes left. It was a great pass. I've I've shouted out those plays so many times, these great passes to guys open on the perimeter. So that was almost my favorite play. My real favorite play, though, I teased this earlier, about 13 and a half minutes left in the second half. Jacob Grandison had a like a little nifty little drop-off pass to Ryan Young and Ryan Young spun around a guy and made a really tough layup. It was, it was a play that I, I didn't think Ryan Young had in his arsenal. I mean, this is a guy who who's great, you know, around the basket, but this was going to the basket and to have that spin move and still have the body control to, to finish it off. And, and it was a great pass from Grandison as well. That was my favorite play of the game. I also think I have to shout out another play that Jalen Blake's had where we can't, again, the ball was going back and forth. Teams were kind of stealing the ball from each other and it was a loose ball. Someone picked it up and it was kind of a fast break and they threw the ball and Jalen Blake's was by himself and he went in and instead of normally doing his normal layup, he dunked it. Um, and I think that was cool because again, it was that confidence. And like, as, like we mentioned before, it was something that it, it felt like he did it because he knew the team needed a boost. And if that boost was coming from him dunking the ball instead of laying it in, then he was going to do it. Hey, Donald, before we take a commercial break here in a second, we should do our player of the week because there's only one game this week. And I think it's going to take us exactly three seconds to do it. My player of the week's Jalen Blakes. How about you? Yes. <laughs> there we go. There you have it. Player of the week winner, Jalen Blakes. I am fairly sure this is the first time in his career he has won that honor from us. Well-deserved to you, Mr. Blakes. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to make you not feel so bad about Duke losing this game to Wake. 
Stick with us. All right, we're back from the break. And as I promised, you're about to not feel so bad about Duke's loss. Here's how I'm going to explain it to you. This is a crazy time of year. This is an insane time of year. Teams coming into the Christmas break, teams coming off exam break, wild, wacky stuff happens. Donald, did you see what happened today between Iowa and Eastern Illinois? Oh, I heard. Okay, <laughs> folks, For if you did not hear about this, Iowa lost at home, at home today to Eastern Illinois by nine points. In case you don't know, coming into this game, Eastern Illinois was ranked 356th in Ken Palm. There are only 363 teams. They're the eighth worst team in the country coming into this game, and they beat Iowa at home. Iowa was more than a 30-point favorite in this game. I'm not sure exactly how long it's been since a team that was a 30-plus point favorite lost a game. There's some people saying this is the biggest upset since Virginia lost to Chaminade back in the 1980s. This is a bad one. Now, it's worth noting that Iowa played without Chris Murray and Connor McCaffrey, who are two very, very good players. But still, Eastern Illinois, Ken Pomeroy had predicted that Iowa had a 99.8% chance of winning. 99.8%. To quote Jim Carrey in, uh, what's that, uh, Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Samsonite. I was there way you off. go, baby. So Eastern Illinois pulled off the 0.2% chance of victory and beat Iowa. And that was today. I'm just going to give you folks something about yesterday. All right. Duke lost to Wake, and we feel terrible at that. Okay. Mississippi State yesterday lost to Drake. Drake. Mississippi State was 11. Not, the, not the rapper. The school. Right. They lost to Drake. After winning two games in a row, Louisville yesterday lost to Lipscomb. Lipscomb. They're the number 198 team in Ken Palm. They beat Louisville. And Wofford. we predicted that. We predicted that when we, we talked with Brendan Marks. So Yes, yes. Uh, Texas A&M was playing at home in College Station. Power, SEC school. Texas A&M, they lost to Wofford. Mississippi was playing Northern Alabama, the number 313 team in the country. One of the bottom 50 teams in the country. Mississippi lost. They were a 97% favorite. Oregon was playing Utah Valley, not Utah, not Utah State, Utah Valley. And Oregon lost yesterday at home. They were an 84% favorite to win. So as terrible as you may feel about Duke losing to Wake Forest, boy, at least we didn't lose to Eastern Illinois or Northern Alabama or Utah Valley. Yeah, the, those I, I, I heard about the Iowa game. I was like, oh, we're probably going to talk about this. But even some of the ones from yesterday, there was just a lot of random upsets that should not have happened and yes it gives me at least a little solace that like hey we we played bad but we didn't play as bad as these guys but jason to kind of wrap this up i do i, I want to shift out of out of basketball for a second i need to talk to you about the nfl because there's two games on oh, sunday are we gonna talk about the patriots game <laughs> where if you're a patriots fan and if you're a colts fan you can you can turn this podcast off now oh wow uh, first oh, wow. of all First of all, the you know I'm a Lions fan. The dumbest play in NFL history 
was in 2008 when we were 0-16 and in one of those games against the Vikings. This is how I'm going to sink him. Against the Vikings, Dan Orlowski, as the quarterback, snapped the ball and ran out of the back of the end zone and had no idea for a safety, and we lost that game 12-10. to It ended up helping us on our way to our perfect 0-16 season. That was the dumbest play in NFL history until, until Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Orlowski, you are officially off the hook. I officially forgive you. Uh, I don't know who it was that tried to throw the ball to Mac Jones on a lateral on the last play of the game. Oh. But Chandler Jones uh, buried him at about the 35-yard line after catching the ball. And, uh, man, that play was absolutely the dumbest play I've ever seen in a football game. Yeah, that was – I mean, there's not much to say about it. If if you haven't seen it, I don't know what rock you've been buried under, but it was, uh, by the way, I think what happened on that play was the Patriots sort of thought that, you know, they were just going to run out the clock. The game was over. And then uh, the running back, you know, actually broke one off and got, got about 20 or 30 yards downfield. And suddenly they got it in their head. Oh, maybe we can make something happen here. And I think that's exactly what the uh, uh, whoever the running back was at that time who made the long run. He was like, they're like, why did you do it? He goes, honestly, that's on me. I thought I could make something happen. But it also wasn't his fault that the other dude was like, the best (laughs) option for me is to throw the ball 30 yards back to the slowest guy on the field who also was on the ground already trying to get back up because he's our quarterback. Uh, Enough about that game. The other game that was incredible is we saw the greatest comeback. Uh, the largest comeback in NFL history, 33 points. The the Colts, who were led by Jeff Saturday, played on a Saturday, and they lost a 33 to nothing lead. Also involved in that, Jason, you you're 28 to three. You're 28 to three is off the hook now because Matt Ryan now has the worst Super Bowl uh def- or comeback, or at least the, like lost the the biggest lost lead the biggest lead. Matt, Matt in, Ryan in, has in NFL history and Super Bowl history. Yeah, yeah, Matt Ryan. You know, there's a debate as to whether or not Matt Ryan deserves to go in the Hall of Fame someday. He 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 was a great. You know, he especially had like two or three or four years where he was arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, yeah, that's that's a pretty that was a pretty brutal one for them. Hey, Donald, there's something I want to do here before we go. All right, Christmas gift time. We've done this before in the past. Coming up on Christmas or Hanukkah gift. Either way, you can give a Christmas gift. I'll give a Hanukkah gift. Perfect. What are we giving to this Blue Devil team? And this may interfere. You don't know that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say this. You're not allowed to say that you're giving them Derek Whitehead being healthy and being himself because that's too obvious. That's that the the big present under the tree for John Shire is that Derek Whitehead becomes the player we all know he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's a game changer. Let's be clear. That's a game changer for Duke. You know, as horrible as this Wake Forest loss was. The fact that we didn't have Derek Whitehead and the fact that he has not, he's been a shadow of what we expected him to be so far this year looms over this team and looms over that loss. So you're not allowed, your Christmas gift is not allowed to be Derek Whitehead playing like the best offensive recruit in the country, like we expect him to. Now give me a gift. Okay. So I'm going to give the ones that I think, you know, I, I could, I think I could speak for you. I think I could speak for Sam by saying, I wish. Uh, that our team continued health uh, throughout t- throughout the next year. Like I hope everyone continued. remains generally healthy. How about that we get healthy and stay healthy <laughs> and stay healthy and stay and stay well. I, I hope yeah. all that happens. But in 2023, my gift is the three. I hope that the threes start to come around because I think again that dynamic is an added layer 
to our offense. And if we can start hitting threes, I think we become a much more dangerous basketball team in the eyes of everybody, because any team that can come that can hit threes is always going to be in any game or can blow a game out of, out of proportion. So I'm hoping for our threes to finally start falling. We did not consult on this. My Christmas gift is I am giving John Shire 10 minutes per game of Jaden shoot. I'm thinking the same way you are. And I think the, the answer to it, by the way, Derek Whitehead might be part of the answer to it, but I think the, the answer to it may be that Jaden shoot plays his way into earning 10 minutes per game for this Duke team. You mark my words. If Jaden shoot plays 10 minutes a game for Duke, Duke's three point percentage per game will go up. So the gift that John Shire, my package to him under the tree, he opens it up and inside is playing time for Jaden Shute. He has to earn that time. Part of this gift is that Jaden Shute is good enough to get that time. But that's what I think could be the thing that really helps this Duke team get back to where we expect them to be. Let's go airborne. Bombs away. Hey, before we run, I wanted a really, really, really quick note. Today was signing day for college football. Mike Elko signed 26 players, which is the most of any team in the ACC. It's tied with a few other ACC clubs for the most signings in the, uh, in the er, I guess this is the early signing period. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, it's worth noting that all 26 of these players had committed to Duke prior to the season, prior to the season beginning. These were all guys who committed over like last summer and into the you know early fall. It is a big deal in college football when all your recruits stay committed. It's pretty clear that these guys saw a lot to like from from the Elko era, from the beginning of the Elko era at Duke. And the fact that they all stuck around is is a big deal. And it's worth noting Elko's begun bringing in some guys in the in the transfer portal. There are at least two of them who who I'm very excited about, who I think could be real difference makers for Duke. Jake Hornibrook um, was a starting tackle for Stanford for the past two years. He's coming to Duke for his last season. Um, Al Blades Jr., who, who played a bunch at Miami earlier in his career. Uh-huh. He, he sort of fell a little bit further down the depth chart later in, in you know the past year or so. But earlier in his career, he was a starter at cornerback for Miami, and he's also coming to Duke. So uh, I just wanted to, before we go, just you know mention and note that Mike Elko succeeded on the field. He's succeeding off the field with the recruiting so far. I, I love that. I mean, you and I, it's not very far removed from the years where, you know, the max number of recruits we would be able to get was like 25 and we would be getting like 12, 13 recruits on yeah. signing day and not the full 25. So to A, get the max that you're able to get, which is 26, I believe now. Um, and for that to be not just, you know, one and two star guys, but a lot of three, some four guys and well, and even some guys that will, as we, as we see them progress, we can see some of these guys becoming major contenders for, you know, all ACC down the road and, 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 you know, being put on national uh, awards watch lists, like those sort of things are what we want to see. We want to see guys with the name Duke next to those next to their name on those lists. And I think from this crop and even from what he's already building for 2024, we're starting to see a lot of those people that people, those guys that people are like, Hey, these guys might be on some watch lists for an end of year awards on, on the conference and national level. It's awesome that we're we're getting that at Duke University. Yeah, it's worth noting that every single one of the 26 recruits that Mike Elko has brought in for this current class are rated at least three-star recruits. 
Um, so like you say, you know, it's it's a little bit of a level up from what we've seen in the past. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 470 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Hey, folks, remember, it may be the holidays, but that doesn't mean you're not allowed to write to us. We'd love to hear from you. Send us email, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. For Donald, for Sam, who couldn't make it, I am Jason. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home. Hey, are you a Whitney Houston fan? Uh, I am. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you went to see the movie. Yeah, yeah. I want to dance with somebody, which I don't know why it's named that. Yes, that is one of her famous songs. Not her most famous song, but it's one of her famous yeah. songs. It doesn't, not like she dances a lot in the movie. Or I want to dance with somebody is definitely rated as probably her most famous song. Not yeah. her most, not her best song. No, it's definitely not. Not her best song. Her best song is I'll Always Love You. Um, yes. And 100%. then, but, but that is definitely her most popular song. We but even have like, a joke with my friends about whether it's How Will I Know or I Want to Dance with Somebody. And we always like joke around about which one is actually the most popular song. Right. Um, the movie's not, it's not good. I, I didn't <laughs> think it would be. Um, it's, man, it's like two hours and 25 minutes. It is so long. And here's the crazy thing. Like her life is full of great storylines. I mean, there's uh, the movie talks a lot about sort of she she had lesbian. She she was involved in a, a, in a relationship earlier in her life before she um, got together with Jermaine and uh, and eventually hey, Bobby, Bobby Brown. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that whole thing. There's uh, there's her relationship with her parents, her mother being really hard on her, her father being in charge of her career and all her financial stuff and some of the problems he had with that. There's mm-hmm. obviously her and Bobby's relationship and the, and the drug use that resulted eventually in her death. Um, you know, there's her relationship with, with Clive Davis and how much Clive sculpted and created her career for her and the such, all these stories, tons of storylines. And the movie repeatedly like brings up a storyline, like out of nowhere, just like if there's boop, it'll like suddenly happen and then they'll resolve it like two minutes later. And and then it's like, it doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's some of the, the script is so bad, but Whitney's music is so great that like the movie's really watchable until you're sort of like, you're just overwhelmed by how bad the script is and you just can't take it anymore. Like for an hour and, and a half, I was like, this is terrible, but I'm really enjoying myself. To be like, fair, that's a, that's a lot of, she's awesome. But a lot of biopics are like that. Like, in in a uh, way, we've like gotten, we've gotten spoiled in recent years. I mean, Rocket Man was amazing. Um, I thought Rocket Man was good. I didn't. I mean, a lot of people said it was amazing. I didn't think it was super amazing. But I'm also not like a huge Elton John Elton fan. John fan. Yeah. So yeah, it was one of those like I watched it to watch it. But I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody is the one that you know won the awards. I don't think it deserved to win the awards. It won, but it's right. It's so much, so much better than this. Anyway, yeah. There was actually a great documentary about David Bowie this year. Um, that, pe- that you should check out. But mm-hmm. anyway. all right, regardless, I just wanted to, to warn you: lower your yeah. expectations. Maybe you're like, and- I, I'm not. I'm not planning to see that in the theater. I, I was planning on <laughs> catching that on the on the box. So there you go, man. When it's free, that's the right mm-hmm. choice.